Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Danny Cannell. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson, and it is so great to be back with you, gentlemen. It is great to be back with you, the listeners. We hope you enjoyed our around-the-clock week. We're going to continue to lean on those 24-7 sports team insiders throughout the offseason, heck, maybe even into the season. Uh, we really appreciate those of you who have enjoyed some of those episodes. Uh, Bud, you've done a lot of the heavy lifting, so thank you on a personal level. I just I checked in with Anna. I've got some more on my to-do list. Some 24-7 riders will be hearing from me this week, but thank you uh, for that. I thought that it was a great way for us to start scanning the country. Again, something we're going to continue to do uh, throughout the week. Today, we've got some uh, headlines that we want to make sure that we react to that have happened since we last all gathered together, including some very, very, very interesting additions for Georgia. One we thought was coming. One, you know, not unsurprising, but certainly uh, brings a lot of intrigue to how the Bulldogs offense with JT Daniels is going to click. The LSU's got a little bit of a staff shakeup, but the big news of June as we sit here and record on Monday, June 7th, is what is happening uh, all across the country. It is the end of the dead period, and we're starting to see camps. We're starting to see uh, staffs really get a chance to meet up with these kids, the highest profile prospects. I mean, they're double dipping. We got players in the first 24 hours that are doing Midnight Madness in Tallahassee and then going over to the barbecue in Miami and figuring out ways to somehow get to as many places as possible. Uh, the coaches told us that this was going to be uh, this was going to be wild, but uh, I am very excited. You know, as we as we start to look at what's happened and eventually get to, uh, as you see from the headline, what makes a great recruiter. Um, I mean, this is this is always going to be a, a podcast that is uniquely informed in Florida State issues. Okay, I mean that's just, there is no way around it. But the midnight madness in Tallahassee drew some big time attention. Um, Bud, you were there. Right? Were you there at midnight, or well, it's, take, no, I, take me I was, through Tallahassee. I was not there at midnight. Okay. Right. I uh, um, with as you guys might have seen with, with our new vacation policy for CBS, uh, we we have to go ahead and basically you know use it or lose it. So I used it. I, I was in Vegas for five days. Got to play Shadow Creek. Respect. Uh, got to uh, got to throw in a little plus nine hundred on Georgia for the Natty, and uh, took took some plus two fifty for the SEC as well. Um, but no, I was in Tallahassee for the mega camp. And this is something that it's basically a huge satellite camp. They had over 2,500 kids in Tallahassee on, on Sunday, uh, just a couple days after visits opened up. And the real purpose of this, for the most part, I mean, I'm sure FSU staff gets to evaluate kids and, and gets to meet kids in person for the first time because they were hired and then the pandemic hit uh, almost instantly. Very few you know, opportunities they've had to actually meet 
players in person. But the real benefit of this is they go out and they invite all of these college staffs to come to their campus. I think they had 63 schools in all, uh, which is a ton. There were a lot of logos I didn't even recognize, uh, which you know means FCS, probably some D2. And then a lot of logos I, I, I did recognize, right? Minnesota, Indiana, Arizona State, Penn State. Uh, I saw Jamie Chadwell there at, at, from Coastal Carolina. He says he's down to come on the Cover Free podcast, by the way. So going to have him on to come chat. Pretty cool, uh, cool offense he runs there at Coastal. Uh, and a bunch of other guys I knew. So it was a great opportunity for me to, to get with some college coaches that I usually would see at the convention or, or if I stopped by their school. Uh, but for the, for the Knowles staff, it was an opportunity to interact with all these high school coaches who bring their kids up there. And the high school coaches absolutely loved it because there were more than 100 offers that went out yesterday from the camp, almost none of them from, from the Knowles, right? But if you're a high school coach, you love that, man – I get to have my players evaluated. They might get loved on a little bit. They might get an offer. They might get told, hey, if you have a nice senior season, you can have an offer. That keeps them motivated throughout the summer. It also means you don't have to spend a ton of money to go on a you know, week-long bus tour throughout the Southeast. I know those are still happening some, but like it's, it's a real big benefit. And uh, it seems like it was a smart move. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of money to spend, obviously, but you know, put the thing on. Uh, but – that was why they did it. And I think overall from that standpoint, it was a success. And all these college staffs were extremely excited to get down there and, and see prospects, you know, because they haven't seen them in person in, in forever. How different is this mega camp than in, in pre COVID? Like were there, would there have been a Florida state mega camp that would have had 30 FB, uh, FCS group of five teams there? Or is this something that we haven't even seen anything like this? Uh, FSU, to my knowledge, has never done a satellite camp of, of this scale. I, and I don't know that they're going to do this every year. Maybe they will because it was such a success and they pulled it off. Um, typically, what you would have happen is a much smaller school would do this and invite a bunch of you know, P5s. I think USF had one, had one one year with you know, like Michigan and all, all those schools coming down there. Remember when Harbaugh was doing all, all the satellite camp stuff and mm-hmm. you know, people were really up in arms about it. Uh, I will say, I don't know if you guys ever been to, Danny, you obviously have, Chip, I assume you have, but for the audience out there, you oftentimes do see a good number of FCS schools that are friendly with the staff. Now, they won't bring the size of, of, of the coaching staffs that they brought. I mean, some of these teams brought seven, eight, nine coaches to this thing. Nor, but you will normally see, hey, if, uh, for instance, um, like Rick Trickett, if he's an offensive line coach, would always have a couple guys he was tight with in the business who were you know, at FCS schools. And you got to organize it in such a way that you're not bringing in schools that are legitimate competition for you if you're doing your job well on the recruiting trail, right? Like you didn't see Georgia or the Gators <laughs> or LSU at, at FSU satellite camp, right? You know, you could say, hey, Penn State and Arizona State. Yeah, but I would argue that if, if the Knowles are doing their job, those are not legitimate competitors for most of the kids in the state of Florida that you would go head to head with them on. Um but it was definitely bigger than normal. SMU also had a huge one on the same day. You had a lot more schools that recruit Texas uh, strongly at that one. And they said there was 4,000 players at that one. I wouldn't doubt it. I, I mean, saw that, I saw an uh, article about it. It's insane. Dallas is, is a hell of a lot easier to get to than Tallahassee because nobody actually lives in the Gulf of Mexico. You know, Danny, you, you've made that drive before. Yeah. You know, oh my goodness. Um, what so what's the uh because I'm curious to know. I actually I, I texted you guys this. I had a nephew who was there as a camper, like as a kid who's trying to get there. And he didn't he just 
he's a rising junior, hasn't played a lot. He's trying to get exposure. You know, he wants to try to, you know, get out there. His goal is to play college football somewhere. Um, and so I actually, I was texting with his dad, my brother-in-law, and I was like, how'd it go? Because I'm curious with 2,500 kids, is there really an evaluation or is it just getting them on campus so you can have the time with them? Because I'll read you the text from my brother-in-law and I don't, this may be just the case because he was one of, he's not ranked, he's not a star, he's not, you know, he doesn't have any of that behind him. But he said there were so many kids, they basically had two hours divided into 15 minute sessions, several of the sessions uh, his son, my, my nephew would only get two reps. He said, but he still loved it. But you know, he's like, you didn't exactly get a great chance to evaluate. Is that how it is for everybody? Is it more just to get them on campus and then you already know who's there or is there a kid or two or 50 that can turn heads by their performance in this mega camp? So I, I think he means by reps, like one-on-one reps, right? right. Um, so the, the way they broke it down was there were like 2,500 kids. There were actually, you know, there were four sessions, right? Uh, and within that, they were all broken up by position. And each session lasted, I think, about two hours. You know, like the one-on-ones were a kind of a small part of it at the end. And for that, you're not going to get that many reps because there's just not enough field space to, right. you know, to do one-on-ones really at, at any camp. Like that's always the, the thing we hear from, from high school coaches and players and parents is, Hey, I didn't get as many one-on-one reps as I wanted. Well, yeah, that, that's that's kind of what what happens. Um, but they go through drills and get evaluated at, at any kind of camp like this, you know, throughout. And the coaches are definitely watching all of it. Like the college coaches are not just standing around BSing and waiting for one-on-ones. Like they want to see the one-on-ones, but they're looking for the guys in one-on-ones who popped in the agility drills, right? In the position-specific drills, because that that's who they're you know, they're writing down in their notebook or, or their phone or their tablet or, you know, whatever they want to use. Um, so I, it is hard to get noticed, I think, by the very best schools if you don't pop and, like, really, really flash. But the thing is, if you had a good day, you're almost certain to get noticed by somebody because there are, you know, like my, my friend coaches at Akron. You know, his list that he's writing down is a hell of a lot different than my friend who coaches at Penn State. Hmm. Like, they're, they're not looking at the same type of kids. You know, he's like, hey, what do you know about what do you know about this kid? What do you know about that kid? It's it's different because the type of player that can play at that school just looks different. You know, if you're if you're Akron, you're probably looking for guys who I mean, you, you sort of it's almost like baseball scouting. But you're looking for dudes who are not gonna gonna emerge and get plucked away by by Penn State. You want to find guys you can actually sign. Um, so yeah, I think one on ones that's that's something that pretty much always happens. Like you're you're not gonna get a zillion reps in, in, in one-on-ones. Um, I thought the field held together. Okay. But it's it, Danny, it, it's, it's the IM fields over there by college town. Right. So like, that's the only really space they have to, to put on, you know, four full size football fields really. When you've got those kind of numbers, how much like, is it, valid to say that there's just like an energy point to it where for Florida state, when you're just trying to just drum up a lot of enthusiasm and you're trying to really uh, make this as something that is going to impress the players at the top of your board. Like you've, you were willing to invite thousands of kids because of the environment that it might create and how it just might be able to create an impression of this great positive momentum of a program that is building for the future. Because if you're inviting all these other staffs and, and you're, um, you know, allowing this to not just be a Florida state exclusive event, 
the reaction that uh, that I'd followed certainly said this was a, this was all positive. This is all good stuff for Florida State. Do you, do you sense that that's part of it? It's like more the merrier because it's a bigger party, and if it's a bigger party, then it's better for us because it just creates this like energy and environment that makes us feel big. Oh, I see what you mean. Um, so they actually had their elite camp on Saturday. Okay. Right. Like if, if you were a player, they really wanted to evaluate and were, was already on their radar and had an offer or was pretty close to like, if you show up and, and you confirm in person what, what we see on film, that then you probably came to the elite camp. There are a couple kids who were like elite camp invites who actually were in Tuscaloosa on the night of elite camp. So they did come, you know, to the more cattle call uh, type camp. The, the reason they do this is, is basically as a huge favor to the high school coaches in the state, right? And say, hey, man, look, we're, we're bringing all these schools to Tallahassee so your kids can get seen. It's really not about FSU evaluating these kids. 99%, I mean, of the, of the 2,500 kids at that camp, they, I think they offered four and would probably like maybe put another 10 or 12 on their list. And most of those are underclassmen like to continue monitoring. It's really not about like, it's not about FSU evaluating those guys. It's throwing a bone to the high school coaches in the state to get all these major schools and some minor schools down there to see your, your kids. Which is, uh, you know, we're, we're and gonna- then, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. I was just gonna say that we're going to get to the actual conversation in a second, but uh, relationships with high school coaches, number one, very high on my power ranking of what makes a great recruiter. <laughs> Oh, right. Exactly. And then they're also hosting, I think, eight more camps after this that are position specific, like on a day. So if you really popped at something like this, they can invite you back. And, you know, if you can find a way to get to Tallahassee, you can do that. But I, as far as I know, like the coaches I talked to there were, were pretty, pretty happy about it. Um, as far as like the, the other coaches on the other staffs. And for me, that was a real, that was a real benefit. I, I know these FSU guys well, I can, you know, hit them up pretty much whenever I need to, uh, not trying to humble brag, but like, for, you know, but like, I, I don't get to all those other schools as much as I'd like to. So it was great to see the dudes, you know, coach at Indiana or Arizona State or Penn State or or, or Minnesota or, you know, Coastal, all, all those guys, and just chat and pick their brain on stuff for some stories I'm working on, and and just to get a feel for for how their program is doing because a lot of these guys I haven't seen in over a year. You usually see them all at the coaching convention every year or at at, at some of the you know, conference meetings, and you know, didn't didn't see it this, this last year. Uh, but they they seem to like it a whole lot. The only thing they didn't like is if a kid comes to the camp and he's not actually registered for the camp and he just comes to hang out, they're not allowed to talk to him unless you're on FSU staff because then the kid is a quote-unquote unofficial visitor as opposed to a camper. And so I had to watch a lot of these coaches tell these kids, hey, I can't talk to you because you don't have a camp shirt on. And if I, you know, it's a violation. Mm. Cover 3 listeners, we just want to remind you that you can follow and stream the Cover 3 podcast on Spotify. If you're listening on Spotify right now, go to the Cover 3 show page and hit that rectangle follow button so that when the new episodes are dropped, they'll be right at the top of your feed. Uh, we've been really expanding our Spotify presence, putting together some playlists to be able to uh, you know, put all of the common content together. We're having a lot of fun on the publishing side, and we know that you will enjoy it on the listening side so once again go to the cover three show page on spotify hit that rectangle follow button so that when new episodes are dropped they'll be at the top of your feed and if you're listening elsewhere or watching on youtube why don't you go give spotify a try and drop us a follow 
but anywhere else from across the country or Danny, you know, as, as you've sort of noticed from the headlines, you know, in anywhere else stand out from these, this first week of, uh, you know, the recruiting dead period being over. I mean, I, the biggest news for me was not even the recruiting from the high school's perspective was the transfer portal. Like we're in the age of free agency. And when that free agency window opens up, you know, Kirby Smart within the span of 15 minutes gets the top two players, the best on offense and the best on defense. Like that to me was a kind of probably the biggest story we've seen in the last week. Now, what does it mean? Because I don't know if one of them will be eligible. There's a whole nother question. But that to me was the story of the past week with the recruiting period opening up. Is the eligibility question for Kendrick? Because if <laughs> is it no, for, Gilbert? for Gilbert? Okay, yeah. both, so, isn't it? Eric Gilbert uh, announced his intention to transfer to Georgia. He was at LSU. He was the team's second leading receiver. Initially said he was going to go to Florida. Now he's back open. He's a Georgia native. And so the idea that he would get pulled uh, back into uh, Georgia is is not all that surprising. Uh, Darion Kendrick, we'd been talking about that here on the podcast. Rusty Mansell had uh, sort of singled out that as a possibility. Uh, Darion Kendrick had some legal issues that led to his release from Clemson. Of course, uh, Eric Gilbert, you know, I, with the SEC, one another news item was that the SEC is going to allow intra-conference transfers. So what is the eligibility questions for both of these? I think with Kendrick, it's wasn't it the legal thing? The legal which side? Is what, that's which been is what we were, I don't think that's an issue anymore. I th- from okay. everything I've seen, the case was dropped now. Are we assuming that he kept going to classes after the arrest? That's kind of my question. Like I, I, I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm interested in following this, guys. That's what I'm going to say about this. I want to yeah. see academically for both. For both. Uh, but- for Gilbert, I think it's more of a, the, the behind-the-scenes rumblings that you hear it's a massive question mark like I don't know I'll be more surprised if he is out there week one against Clemson uh with Kendrick I'm I'm not as quite as sure but from people kind of in the know there's a but how many times we've seen this before where they figure it out you know like they figure out a way to get him in a boatload of classes in the summer and get you back up to speed where you're eligible and you figure out a way to make it happen. So that's like, nothing would shock me, but I do think Gilbert has more significant um, challenges to get eligible. I took a ton of heat on this because I was, you know, when this news came down, it's like, man, this is, this is huge for Kirby who has already amassed one of the most talented rosters in the country but I said, be careful, because these are two what I would describe as high-risk, high-reward individuals who are coming into your program. They're incredibly talented, right? That's documented for both of them. But I do think they come with a risk. One, the eligibility risk. But two, the risk of the type of player who, one, wasn't showing up to a lot of practices at Clemson, was you know enough of a knucklehead to get into some trouble enough to where Dabo had to dismiss him from Clemson. And then another one in Eric Gilbert, who remember was going to transfer to uh, Florida, you know, has kind of had some inconsistencies off the field with where he stood. So you're bringing in some guys who, and this has, and then, you know, immediately a bunch of Georgia fans were ticked off saying, well, what about Florida state guys, you know, bunch of, you know, criminals out there and bringing up a lot of stuff and players who had off the field issues. And that is a hundred percent true. Players don't care about those types of issues. Like, right? I mean, let's just be honest. Like, I, I mean, if I'm throwing to a receiver, I don't care what his illegal issues are off the field. You know what I want to be able to count on? 
that he was going to be at practice, that he was going to run the route he was supposed to, that he was going to deliver when he was called upon. And probably one of those things that I would look for is somebody who's going to be my teammate and going to produce through thick and thin. No matter if we're playing for a national championship or we lost the first or second game of the season, like I want somebody I can count on. And when this is kind of that new era where this is going to be a risk, I think, with everybody, where different players, different mindsets, a lot of guys have NFL goals, and that's all they want to do. And yeah, the national championship goals are kind of ancillary. Like if that happens on the way, great. If not, it's not going to kill me. So I think there's a, there's a risk that runs with the type of character of a player you're bringing in. And that's where I was getting at with the explanation of these are some character risks that you're taking. In one of those may be legal issues, but the more significant one is both these guys have you know, moved on from programs that they had a pretty good chance of winning at and they couldn't fall in line there. And maybe it works out great. I really hope it does. But I think there's some significant risk there and Kirby's willing to take on that risk. And almost every coach in the country would be willing to take the same risk. Okay, so do you think... This is... Do you think that 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 changes? Like, Georgia has a very high floor. If Gilbert and Kendrick are not uh, cleared to play in 2021, Georgia can still win the SEC championship. They still have the pieces on that roster that they sh- they can win the SEC championship. Do you think that the addition of either one of these players changes that floor? Like, could it impact the program and the team negatively to where it, it causes that kind of issue? See, I think that's the great unknown risk. And that's where I think the risk is. Like, the risk to, or the reward to the upside, the line versus Georgia didn't move and their line to win the SEC didn't move. Like, they're the same. Like, and normally in the NFL with a big time, like, I haven't checked yet, but I guarantee the, the Titans. Titans win total and their chances to win the AFC have probably uh, changed pretty dramatically. And so there's, there's an aspect there where I do think there's a risk where your locker room could like in college players are more uh, they're more immature. They're more impacted by distractions. And if a player is having issues, so like, I, I don't know. That's where I think this is intriguing because I do think there could be a downside risk. If you've got somebody, let's just say, um, you know, let's say they lose to Clemson and Kendrick gets showed up by his old team. Like, how is he going to handle that? Let's say they pick on him. I, I don't, I'm just throwing out scenarios where, and he's like, man, I mean, what if, what if you start off with a couple rough losses? Is he going to opt out and say, I'm going to start preparing for the NFL? You know, I just, or what if Gilbert's not getting enough balls thrown his way and it's and JT Daniels is struggling. Is he going to call him out? This could happen with anybody, but with players who have had a history of not making the most mature decisions, I think there's a risk in that. And that could divide a locker room and start to become, so could impact the, the actual product on the field and your ability to win games. So we, we, we talked about this before on the show. I know Barton brought it up before. You know, certain programs are more focused on fit and certain programs are more focused on just accumulating as much talent as possible. And among the really big boys, I don't think you can find a bigger split in this than Clemson and Georgia. Mm. Right. We, we, we talk about how, you know, Dabo tells his guys, hey, you get X number of knuckleheads and the rest of these dudes better be really damn good kids so that the knuckleheads fall in line. I think they knew I think they knew Kendrick was, was a risk when they signed him. I think he was one of those allotted ones and he didn't end up working out there. Too many strikes. Georgia says, come on, we'll we'll make it. We'll make it fit. Best players will play. And we're just, you know, the, like you got you got to compete for your job. 
look, Georgia's booted guys too. That's not to say like they, they're, you know, they're, they're not running the prison football team, you know, like I, I don't think they've got a bunch of hardcore criminals on their team or anything like that, but like they care a little more, I think about talent than they do fit. And Clemson cares a little more about fit. And I've said before, I think Clemson actually could be better in our recruiting rankings if they went after more talent, but they, ch- they purposely choose to really focus on fit, which among the teams that recruit at that crazy high level is a bit of an outlier. Right. Um, and when you say this, is clarify when you say fit, you're not talking about does he fit with our defensive scheme or our offensive fit. scheme? Mm-hmm. It's do I fit yes. into the culture that we are trying to build? Exactly, D- D- Danny nailed it. Um, but ultimately, I, I think these are guys that really impact Georgia in in a way that if they click, Georgia could be the favorite to win it all. Right. I mean, it's it's certainly that's possible. the readjusted ceiling. Like if you add so. Kendrick, Kendrick at close to full percent, close to one hundred percent of his projected performance. If you add Eric Gilbert at close to one hundred percent of his projected performance, you insert them into this Georgia team, a Georgia team that needs help on the back end, and a Georgia offense that needs pass catchers. Then you're you're leveling up from what I was talking about that very high floor to national championship. I mean, two guys that if they play thirteen, fourteen games, are what guaranteed top one hundred picks and and likely first round types. Yeah, I mean they I mean they're five star projection. I think Kendrick yeah. was a five star too. So they should be a top 40 pick. Yep. And that's a very 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 interesting stuff and uh as Bud mentioned it's we'll keep an eye on this story, you know? The 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 odds makers might be doing that too actually. If the odds makers are sitting back and being like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, let's let's wait till they get cleared before we start uh moving this too much." But somebody's already got a ticket on it. (laughs) Coming up on the other side, what makes a great recruiter? We dive into that, how it's changed, and also moving ahead, maybe even identify a few along the way. Next. Um, loved this for this month, loved this for this show, especially coming off of uh the camp because uh I believe, Bud, this was probably your suggestion from the ideas tab, but what makes a great recruiter? And I, I wanted, if you, if you guys don't mind, I wanted to actually start asking Danny, from even like tapping yeah. in from your own perspective in terms of uh, what you experienced and then also from covering the sport and remaining close to the sport, you know, how you've seen it sort of start to shift and change as, as we start to move into the modern era. So I think it, I thought it was a great question too. And there's a couple different ways I want to answer this because I'm torn with one of my answers, but I'll go back to my experience. Cause there were probably three guys that separated themselves that I remember building re- relationships with and continuing on. And like, just, they stood out to me. One was Mark Richt. Obviously, it was important in my role to go to Florida State. One was Cam Cameron, who was the quarterback coach at Michigan at the time. And the other one was Charlie Strong, who was the defensive line coach at Florida at the time. And he was my lead recruiter for the Gators, which ultimately, and I had a group relationship. He was easy to talk to. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, man, I kind of want to talk more to who I'm going to be working with. You know, like that, the fact that he was a defensive coach kind of hindered it somewhat. But I felt like they were easy to talk to. I felt like I could trust them. Um, I felt like they were honest with me. Um, and I felt like, you know, in a, in a day-to-day setting, and this goes back to the Cam Cameron, Mark Rick, like could I envision myself playing for these guys in meetings on the sideline? And I felt like, yeah, these are good fits. And with Spurrier, who recruited me some, but not as much as Charlie Strong, 
you know, there was a history there and he was a little more arrogant. And, you know, I'd ask him about, you know, and, but it's kind of awkward. You don't want to say, are you going to bench me if I throw a couple picks? But that was the trend at the time where he was not afraid to cycle through quarterbacks. And, you know, he'd give you some arrogant answer. We're like, well, then don't throw interceptions and you'll stay in the game or something like that. So it kind of became this. So that was my experience. Like, those are some of the things that I was looking for and that I found attractive, attractive uh, when I was being recruited. You know, other guys, you know, you get football coaches who struggle to talk about anything besides football. They don't have a ton of personality. And they just kind of left you kind of wanting more. Dealt with some of those. So that was what I was looking for. Now, from the flip side of what makes a good recruiter, my initial hunch of what makes a good recruiter, I'll be curious to see if Bud agrees with this, is you kind of have to be a chameleon. Mm. You have to kind of adjust your personality to who you're talking to, right? And to what they are looking for. But then is that really the best? And like, you can fool kids, which I've seen happen all the time. But is it about, you know, being true to yourself if that's not what the player's looking for? No, you kind of have to be like a used car salesman. Like, you know, I've been shopping for a car and it's hilarious how you go in to the dealership and you know, even like something as, as stupid as masks. Like if I go in without a mask on, the salesman will be like, yeah, I can't believe we have to wear these masks. Like, let's get rid of these. And if I wear a mask, the guy's like right on his mask is on. He's like, yep, we're going to be safety first. You know, it's like, and I guarantee you both of those salesmen probably have different views and they're going to approach every potential customer, whatever they're doing, they're going to follow <laughs> along. Right. And so like as a recruiter, your job is to sell the university and to sell the, the program. And I think, that's kind of a reality and your job as a high school or as a recruit is kind of figure out who's selling you BS and who's legit. Cause I think that's what makes a good recruiter. Like I think you have to be able to adjust to the player that you're recruiting. Is that fair, bud? Like, do you think that's an accurate assessment? I don't know if that's the best decipher of what's the best recruiter or what makes a good recruiter, but I think that's an asset that would help you. Look, Danny really nailed it, right? The, the best recruiters are are the best salesmen. You know, they they establish the relationship. They they make it more about the product, and they make it more about or less about the product, and and more about about the relationship. And they 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 create that bond of trust, and they that's that's how they get kids. Um, I do think that there is a little. Sometimes are the best recruiters actually the best people for your program as coaches is another interesting question. Maybe we can tackle in a separate episode because now in the transfer portal era, if you do sell them, you know, a bill of goods, uh, they can, they can bolt if, if it's not like that. And so I, there are guys out there who I think are uh, not always honest with, with recruits or, or stretch the truth, maybe a little bit or misrepresent some things. Uh, but yeah, you, you have to, the, the best recruiters, right. They have, they're, they're charismatic. They are, relentless as far as you and I might think it's really annoying to get 800 text messages in a day. And some recruits do too. And the ones who think it's annoying, you don't do that to them. Mm -hmm. But the ones that, the ones that love that attention. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You also need to figure out sort of what makes the kid tick uh, and, and find a way to kind of hammer that point home and, and figuring out like what, you know, where's that power up? Where's that, where's that three point shot? Where's that five point shot, you know, throw back the NBA jam that, that I can hit over and over again. Um, and then also you need to find out who is the, who is like the adult decision maker 
in this process and establish a good relationship with them? You know, is it, is it mom, dad, grandma, uh, you know, uncle slash handler slash seven on seven coach? Is it the high school coach? Typically there is somebody who is really helping them make decisions. And sometimes it's more than one person and you have to find a way to work both like, let's say high school coach and mom who may disagree on where they want this recruit to go. And you can't totally play favorites there. You, you want to kind of work them both. So identifying what makes the kid tick, identifying who is like, which adult is going to help him make the decision uh, are, are two really important things. Being a really good salesperson and just being charismatic salesman and getting people to believe what you're selling uh, is obviously really important. Uh, but also, I think it's important to survey the field and know when to cut bait and know when to be sort of honest with with, with your head coach. I had a guy um, who was recruiting at a school not named Alabama, and I was ta- I was talking to him. And he was driving to see Devontae Smith, okay? And then he realized, uh, like, some people that, that we knew, and he's like, he's, wait, that? I said, yeah. He goes, I'm going to call you back. I'm going to call my head coach. I, I'm, I'm not, not, not driving down here to practice recruiting. Mm. And he did. And he turned back around down I-10 because he knew Devontae Smith was going to Alabama, Right. Like the ability to recognize, you know, like it's sort of like, like a poker analogy, right? Okay, I saw another card to the turn. I'm going to fold on the river. I, like I'm not pushing all in just to finish second on this kid because it, it, it's a zero-sum game. There ain't no prize for, for second place in recruiting, at least not in the short term. In the long term, maybe if the kid tells his high school teammates who are younger than him, hey, man, I really like this school when I visit. I'm not picking it, but it's, you know, it's legit. Um you know, that there's something there, but knowing when to cut bait, knowing when to move on. Another thing you got to do is keep your secondary and tertiary targets warm and making sure those kids feel the love, even though you are not ready to accept a commitment from them or not ready to offer. But being able to manage a full calendar of plan A and plan B and plan C is a really difficult task, but the best recruiters are able to do it. They make the kid feel loved, but not so loved that he's like, Hey coach, I want to commit, right? Or they're or they're able to feed him good excuses like, oh, hey, only our head coach can can take commitments, and this is like the one week of the year he takes vacation. So like, let's let's uh, let's you know come back next week, and then you know next week's comes, and you're like, hey, actually, he only takes commitments in person. So like, let's make sure you get get you up here again. Uh, being able to kind of string kids along as a recruiter is a major skill, and that feels icky. It does. Yeah, I mean, it's it the. The conflict of authenticity and a chameleon is bananas. Like the to to imagine, but putting yourself in that headspace. Um, I, I'm going to add poker player to this list because I really think that that's an important part of this. But I said a great recruiter has to be a private investigator. They've got to be able to like get all of the information that a PI would get and use that information to put together a game plan. Uh, you've got to be a politician uh, because that's the relationship with the high school coaches, the relationships with, I guess, that's also a little bit of the secondary and tertiary. And then this is one that I think might be more important now than it has been in decades prior but you've got to be a motivator for your current players because how often do we start to hear about how current 
like players that are already on the roster are the ones that are really like leading the charge or somebody who's already committed who's trying to get a bunch of their peers. But the messaging that can come from a freshman quarterback who's saying, hey, like uh, we are going to do this together. Come and join me and this group and we're going to make it happen. I think that can be far more impactful than a message that's coming from a coach, something from your peers. And so as a recruiter, within the context of being a private investigator, a poker player, and a politician, you've got to be able to be a motivator to other members of the recruiting class and then members of your current roster. Pair up the right people and say, look, this y'all have got to be able to be the extra piece of this because that's what's going to make this prospect attracted to coming to play alongside you. While it feels icky, I totally agree. I don't like that side of it. And to make sure like it isn't one-sided it's working both ways that dance that goes because for every coach that's trying to string the kid along because he's making sure there's not a better option a lot of the players are looking for better options too right like they might have an offer from a you know mid to low tier ACC team and they kind of want that's a good offer for them but they've got their eyes also on maybe a middle to upper tier SEC school that if they offered, they would jump at it and they've had these conversations, but they haven't got that offer yet. And they're trying to string along this team in the ACC or the big 12 or wherever it is and saying, yeah, I'm really interested. You know, I'm, let's schedule that visit. Let's let me get out there. But you know, I got exams coming up and they're, they're both stringing each other along and it's, it works both ways. So there's this awkward dance that takes place and it can get really uncomfortable for both sides. And unfortunately, it leads to a lot of burnt bridges and, you know, nasty feelings. And, you know, you just it leaves you with a bad taste in your times uh, more times than not, I would say, for a lot of kids and coaches, like for both sides. I, I, I if, if a recruiter asks me, I never tell him which school to go to, but I have told him, go to the school that wants you the most because they're the school that's going to value you the most throughout your time on campus. Right. If you are plan like plan C or plan D at mega school, they're probably taking you to fill the roster. Now, if you develop great, but they're going to recruit over you. Like they're not going to have to go to plan C plan D next year. And a year after that, one of those years, they're going to land their plan a your position and he's going to jump you most likely. You don't see a lot of these guys that are playing C, playing D start. They're there because you have to take somebody, right? And like we, we see it all the time, like, wow. So don't just pick the logo. Pick where is going to set you up the best. Pick a school that's going to value you throughout your, your time on campus. But how have you seen the what the great recruiter and the profile of a great recruiter, how have you seen that change uh, and do you, are there any like projections moving forward? Be, uh, one thing that stands out is social media, you know, just the ways of communication are, are constantly changing all the way to hopping on that headset and let's get in the gamer room and let's figure out a way to continue that relationship. Cause that's not a text or a call, but uh, other, yeah. other pieces of that, you know, what's, what are you starting to see and, and what kind of recruiters are, are, are separating themselves? You know, I, I, I don't know that the, the skill set for being a great recruiter has changed all that much, um, maybe I think with the one difference perhaps between now and when Danny was being recruited and Spurrier commented on this sometimes, he's like, I, I don't know how they do it. They just land, you know, top four defensive ends in the country all, all on Sunday. But I, I guess those guys all knew they were going to play together. Uh, 
I think nowadays you have you have to be more aware that kids are more aware of whom else you're recruiting, and the kids do chat with each other quite a bit. You know, like they're if for instance, if you're recruiting two quarterbacks and you're telling the, both quarterbacks, hey, they got a great chance to start. Well, you may not end up landing one of the, one of those guys. Like you, you don't see a whole lot of schools take two, you know, Plan B type quarterbacks. You usually get like an A and like a D, uh, a guy who's more developmental, or you go one one high school, one portal. Uh, so, kind of balancing what you tell kids, knowing that basically anything you tell them, they're probably going to tell to other kids, is important. And I don't think, like Danny, did you talk to all these other quarterback recruits back, back in the early nineties? So that was so Chip's right. So Danny Warfel and I met at like an FCA camp the summer before our senior years and we traded numbers and, you know, we did keep in touch. And so that was one thing I really appreciated were schools and Florida State was open. Like Mark Rick would say, hey, you know, I'd be like, who are you recruiting? He's like, well, we have you pegged. We have Danny Warfel and Eric Kresser and other quarterback. He's like, you know, these are the quarterbacks we're talking to. And so it was, it was an honesty, but that honesty also provided a little bit of pressure because it was like, well, one of you, you know, we'd probably take all of you, but you know, it was just, it was, but it was honest. And then there were other schools and Warfel and I would call each other and like say, man, I, you know, what did this school tell you? And it'd be like, oh, they said I was the number one target. He said, they told me the exact same thing. It'd be like, oh, and then we'd both be like, cross them off the list. Like, I don't want somebody that's going to lie to me now because if they're lying to me now, there's a good chance they're going to lie to you when you get on campus about playing time or starting or whatever. I wanted somebody who was going to be forthright with and, and be open about it. I can handle it. I can accept it. If you're recruiting somebody else, that's perfectly fine. I just want to know what the deal is. And so I think players a lot of times appreciate the honesty, but there's a risk in that because there might be players that say, no, I want to be no, I want to be told I'm the number one guy. And if they don't feel that way, then see ya. So then what do you do if you're a recruiter, you know? It's, it's I, tough. Then as a recruiter, I wouldn't want that player. Like I don't want somebody that's going to be afraid of competition or, you know what I mean? Like, I, it's just, it's a part of this balance that goes into these relationships. Did you announce a day before? Like, weren't you and Danny? I did, to- <laughs> yeah. So we talked a lot and I liked Florida a lot. Um, and Warfel liked Florida State a lot. And I think we probably both would have had a lot of success had we switched roles and gone to one or the other. But I was at a point where I was like, it was getting to be really close to signing day. And I knew like Warfel was considering Florida State. And I don't know if there was a decisive moment or like something that was said or happened, but I was kind of over it. You know, Bud was talking about it gets old. Like, the, and this was before text. The phone was ringing off the hook, like nonstop. It was phone call, phone call, phone call, answering machine going off. And my dad actually really enjoyed it. He did a lot of the talking to the coaches and I'd be like, I'm, I'm busy. I don't want, I can't talk right now. And he would, he would take most of it. But I got to a point where I was like, all right, enough is enough. And I just went, all right, I'm going to go to Florida State. And then like the next day, Warfel said, all right, I'm going to go to Gainesville. I'm just going to go to Florida. And so it kind of just. You were the domino. Yeah, exactly. And we both knew like we didn't, as much as we weren't afraid of competition, like for our careers, did it make a lot of sense where one of you was going to have to sit in the bench? And we're like, no. So we kind of knew we weren't going to go to the same place. Were, Were you aware of other quarterback recruits like throughout the country? Not re- so that was really a unique c- circumstance because we met ahead of like there was no Facebook, there was no now. If, if you were really, I guess, diligent, maybe you could have gone through a media member to like track down a number or on some of these visits. 
but I'm trying to think even other visits. There were a couple other awkward circumstances that arose. One, uh, when I went to, I saw my official visits, I went to Florida state, Michigan and Washington. Washington was a national champion the year before. And so I was like, Hey, I want to go. And the only reason I went to Washington was a free trip to the West coast. I knew I wasn't going to go there. I was like, I just, but I want to go to the West coast. They were a national champion. It sounds cool to tell your friends they're recruiting me. So I went there. So Damon Heward was a quarterback there at Washington. I think he was Brunel. I think he was his backup. He wasn't starting yet. So he picks me up from the airport and we're driving around. It's like, you know, we could be in theory competing against each other. Even though I'm younger, he was only a couple years older. I could unseat him for his job. Oh, they had a player player pick you up? Yeah. So wow. like he was my host for the trip. And so I don't maybe it wasn't from the airport, but there was definitely like we were alone together. He was tasked with taking me out and showing me around. And so like that, it's kind of awkward. You're feeling each other out. Where are you from? And then he was like, you know, I was, I was expressing the displeasure with the flight because it takes like eight hours to get out there. I had to fly through Dallas and then there, and it was like a long day. And he was like, would you really come out here? I was like, no. And then like, as soon as he knew I wasn't coming, like we had a blast, like we hit it off and it was awesome. But like, it's awkward, that relationship. But like for other, like I knew Tommy Frazier, but he was a triple option quarterback out of date. Like I knew we weren't in the same market. Um, I ran into, we've actually played on the Florida Georgia all-star team together, but that was after we had committed. Um, Chris Walsh was another one. He ended up Steve Walsh's younger brother ended up going to Miami. I met him at an awards banquet, but we had already both decided the various decisions. His brother played there. So it kind of made sense, but not like today's there weren't, I didn't go to any camps. There wasn't seven on seven. There wasn't elite 11. Those are the opportunities where you become friends with guys. And then even if you don't want to just DM them or reach out to them via social media without ever meeting them, you can actually meet them and develop a relationship where you are trading information, which is really valuable. I think that's a huge difference from huge difference because I, I mean, look, you easily could recruit a kid from Miami and one from Georgia and one from Alabama and have them all sign with you in Gainesville, right? Yeah. If you wanted to, and they would never know about each other. And in fact, I'm pretty sure that happened a number of times, especially mm-hmm. as some of these power schools started recruiting a little more nationally. And as long as you coordinate the visits and make sure that, you know, Danny Cannell and, and whoever from Tennessee is not coming in on the same, same weekend, you're golden. Todd Helton. Yeah, they're never going to know about each other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh man, uh, he yeah, was, he was Todd Helton was remember he was quarterback at Tennessee. Yeah, oh yeah, we were out the same. We played on a high school all star baseball team together, so that's how I got to knew Todd. He was incredible. I was like, this dude plays football too because I knew what he could do with baseball. But so it was very obvious like he was not going to be like long term football. Yeah. yeah. Um, as as you look at the recruiter rankings from this past year, Charles Huff now the uh, head coach at Marshall got number one. Uh, Carl Scott. Defensive backs coach at Alabama, number two. Dante Williams from USC, number three. Mickey Joseph, number four at LSU. Brian Williams, defensive line coach from Maryland at number five. Uh, other names. Brian Williams got Dalvin Cook, by the way. At mm. two Florida State? Yeah. So what's... Uh, Dalvin's grandma loved him. The Correct me if I'm wrong, but the recruiter rankings have a lot to do with how the, the system has assigned the primary and the secondary and sort of the way that that information is logged. It takes on the same numerical value as a recruiting class ranking, right? So are those, do you find often 
the numbers line up with your observations in a recruiting cycle? Yeah, I, I would say so. Um, you know, they're also line up with teams that win for the most part, right? I mean, um, yeah, when you've got multiple Alabama, multiple Ohio States, like a couple yeah. Georgias in there, it's like, oh, okay. So that, that, that matches up pretty well. Um, I think the one thing here that I would point out is that the sample set, I think, is – now, we do assign a, a recruiter of the year because obviously it gets our name in the news. But if you're going to evaluate recruiters, you need to do it over a multi-year span, um, and you probably need to see them work in person as well, or at least be around people who, who have seen them work uh, in, in person because, you know, there are guys, it just depends on who you get in that year. I think if you look at it over like three or four years, you get a much better picture because you may just have a year where the team is not taking as many guys at the position for which you're responsible or from the region, you know, for, for which you you are normally responsible and you may drop in the rankings. Um, I think all the guys you, you named off actually are really good recruiters. I would add Brian Hartline mm-hmm. at Ohio State as a guy who I think absolutely kills it. He's really, really good. Um, he was number nine in the class. Yeah. yeah. So still top 10 without a doubt. Is there an age that's better? Like I'm looking at some of these coaches appear to be younger, looking at their profiles. And is that, am I, is that a false assumption to make? Could you be a coach in your 60s and or 50s and still be as effective as a coach in their late 20s, early 30s? Kerry Coombs and Charles Kelly are both pretty old. They're yeah, how old, is, how old is Tim Brewster? Oh, he's uh, up there. because he's, I mean, he's got to be at, 50s. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he's 60 yet, but I'm just looking here. 60. And he's one of the top ones. He is in the 60. Country, right? Yeah, and he's a really yeah. good recruiter too. I mean, you just have to have you know, in, infectious energy. You have to understand connections. I, I guess one other point I would add, um, I know we're running a little bit long, is you have to be a good politician as well. I was walking around with, with some coaches yesterday, and you know, they all wear their logos. And the number of kids who come up to them who introduce themselves and, and basically tell them you know, who, what, the, what they're all about, you have to basically sit there and basically humor them, even though you know there's no chance in hell you're ever going to offer this five-foot-five defensive end, right? <laughs> Because you don't know who his brother or his cousin might be, and and you have to be like you have to represent your university well. Like they're trying to walk from drill to drill, and sometimes they have to go through like four or five kids that come up and introduce themselves and, and want to like you know tell them all about their thing. It's like damn, it takes like ten minutes to go from that drill to this drill, just you know just just that. Uh, but that's what the good, that's what the best recruiters do. They make everybody feel special because you just never know who the, the kid you're talking to who has no chance in hell playing for you might be related to or, or, or buddies with a politician, a poker player, a private investigator, a motivator. Got to be a lot of things to be a great recruiter, but I think it's interesting uh, in the course of this conversation, you made it something that stood out to me. The skill set hasn't really changed. The tools have over time, but uh, very cool to, to break that all down. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3 You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. See ya. Stop. Nice. Sweet. <laughs>